Solid State Survivor. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. This is off the list. It's not. And what came first, the chicken or the egg? Or your mom? And with that, welcome to Off the <laughs> I've never heard that your mom on the end of that. That's really good. <laughs> I literally just made it up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's actually really good. I like that. When I said sometimes I'd be wild in. Anyway, today apparently is one of those days. Yeah. Um, well, that's ex- that's a good enough to start as any. <laughs> I actually don't know who's supposed to start because we it's had me. a little snafu. Great. For those who don't know about our snafu, we had a little snafu where uh, the goat Ben, um, he he, we had a whole lovely conversation. He recorded some things. I recorded some things. My things were fine. His things, on the other hand, were sounded not fine. like. Yeah, no. They sounded like... Like I was trying to be the new, I don't know, experimental artist on the block. <laughs> yeah, like the new hyper-pop artist. Glitch hop. Um, too much too yeah, much glitch, yeah. not enough hop. <laughs> too much glitch hop. But like if you were Karen from um, Spongebob, oh trying to be a glitch hop artist. <laughs> so we lost the audio. <laughs> <laughs> So, with our little snafu where we lost our audio and mind, you know, we're hard working, busy adults. We have our own lives. They are in fluctuating levels of being good or terrible. We just decided we're going to scrap that episode. We're just going to keep moving ahead. We can't keep focusing on the past. We're not going to, re- we're just going to keep moving ahead. So, this week we have moved ahead and we are doing. Yellow Magic Orchestra's 1979 Solid State Survivor, one of, if not potentially, the most important synth pop albums ever. And then we're doing Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon by, mm-hmm. and I'm forgetting the, my classic, I always forget the director. <laughs> Even though I, I always, it's Ang I, look, Lee. I look it up every time, to- Ang Lee, yeah, I look it up every time beforehand. I'm like, don't forget it this time, Ben. And I always, the Ang Lee. <laughs> yeah. And we're going to be starting with Solid State Survivor, which, as I mentioned, was released in 1979 by Yellow Magic Orchestra. And this album is one of those albums that is kind of like your favorite musician's favorite album. And it exists in this state where like every single member of the group, um, most famously um, Ryuichi Sakamoto, you probably know of because of, you know, Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, and a lot of other composition work. But every member of the group has, like, a very wild and extensive career. Um, you know, earlier in their career, they were making... They were... Uh, let me just even rephrase it. They were not m- making. They were creating synth pop. They were sitting down and saying, like, oh, we're going to make the genre of synth pop. And that is what this album is, honestly. It's one of, you know, the first true synth pop albums it was only originally released in japan which is why it was kind of like your musician your favorite musician's favorite project because a lot of people in america didn't know about it but over time it has slowly gotten the acclaim when people are like oh you know like this band made synth pop and then they look and 10 years earlier 
Yellow Magic Orchestra was doing this shit. And wait, what year was this again? What year did they release? Nineteen seventy nine. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, that's early. Mm-hmm. And part of it has to do with the fact that like America was still working its like way through the disco and funk movement like so heavily at the time, and Japan was just like, oh no, synth pop, and then like synth pop kind of created and then as soon as like disco and funk kind of a little bit left the nexus that's when synth pop came into america um which again kind of why this album charts so early in comparison to a lot of the really um important like synth pop releases in american history but mm-hmm. yeah no this project um it's one that i remember you know i was familiar with sakamoto's work way later in his career and all of that just like pensive ambient music and really yeah didn't he do the score for the revenant that's like how i most yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and all of that kind of stuff and so when i heard him busting out these crazy synth licks i was like all right well um everything i know is not true i don't understand anything um but this album to me is just so fucking good i really love it and you know before i dig more into why i love it Nadira, what did you know about this, and what did you think about it? Uh, first, I gotta say, um, everything I know is not true. I don't understand anything. Has got to be like the title <laughs> of our second album. Yeah, has <laughs> one more meme on Instagram. Uh, I also have to say that we love a good craft work too. Mm. Yellow Magic Orchestra pipeline. Yes, I uh, d- didn't know a single. Th- I have never heard of. Yell Magic Orchestra. I'd never heard of this album. I don't know much about synth pop in Japan. Um, I had heard of Sakamoto, but only through film scores. And mostly, even then, only through The Revenant. There might have been another one, but it, it isn't the um, it isn't the Merry Christmas Mr. Lawrence film. Because I feel like I found out about that while researching for for this like mm-hmm. I, I had had heard of the film before but i didn't realize that he was tied to it and etc cetera, etc cetera. um so i didn't know anything at all about him um and about y'all magic orchestra and i was pleasantly surprised when i pressed play um because it's giving like so usually i say it's giving as a way to give an overall like punchline joke about I don't know the ennui of an album per se but this was very much like just it's giving from the beginning and what it was what it was giving was like disco Willy Wonka and I was here for it I I was (laughs) like I'm disco Willy Wonka but in a video game and I was like but that's where I want to be Mm -hmm. that is a good like, if you had asked me, oh, my God, if you could go anywhere, any place, time, if you could be anywhere, where would you? Disco Willy Wonka in a video game. Just put me mm-hmm. in. Suck me into the little video game. Like the Jumanji reboot, you know? Yep. And it's, it's Disco Willy Wonka. Like, that just seems like it just is colorful and fun and upbeat. Although there is that really, really awesome transition to that one slower song it's one of those albums where you don't even pay attention to the titles of the songs when you listen to it so i wasn't even paying attention but yeah besides that one like really sick transition to that slower more ominous sounding song Mm -hmm. it's very light it's very upbeat it's really fun it's really colorful and it's a very good album for like 
appreciating life. And I want to pick up on something that you said like really early, um, which is like the video game part, because I also hear this and instantly I'm like, oh, this is video game music. Like, yeah, I think that um, that like clicking in our brain only happens because albums like this made it become video game music. Video game music, yeah, yeah. Because people were like, oh, wow, you can create, like, oftentimes this album uses this idea of, like, repetition legitimizing um, a sound that, like, your ear is not really accustomed to. Like, on the second track, Absolute Ego Dance, which, you know, what a name. And that song has what I would classify pretty blatantly as an annoying whistle sound like Mm. and that sound is heavily prevalent throughout it in the first 30 seconds of the song you're like they're really gonna use this whistle the whole fucking Mm. time and then two minutes in you're like never mind the whistle's perfect i like i know Mm. that this like whistle's perfect and they do that with so many sounds where they introduce them and you're like now i don't know about that one but they just like keep hammering it home for you in such like a perfect and hypnotic way that you at a certain point you just accept it you're like no the whistle's great they know what's up it's like cooking mm-hmm. like when like when you're watching an actual chefy chef chef um that was uh adjective noun verb um, <laughs> <laughs> you and they like have an ingredient and you're like i don't know about that chief why are we putting mayonnaise on our grilled cheese yeah whatever, right <laughs> And then they're like, no, okay, but this is it. But you got to do it. But you got to accentuate it like this. And mm-hmm. it's got to go in this part of the process. And then it turns into a beautiful, harmonious thing that will be the most delicious thing you've ever tasted. You're welcome. Yep. And then you're like, oh, dang. That's <laughs> really, truly, yeah, I would agree. Yeah. And also, um, another thing that I want to point out, kind of talking more about like the technical background, and also another thing you pointed out, which is like their inspiration from Kraftwerk, which... Don't get me wrong, Kraftwerk laid the ground for Yellow Magic Orchestra to create this album. Like, they're, you know, like, I mean, this is not their first Yellow Magic Orchestra's first album. Um, but at the same time, Kraftwerk came in and laid the base for, like, how to make electro pop. And then what Yellow Magic Orchestra did was, like, all right, and now within this, here is our neat, like, here's our own little niche. And this is going to be synth pop. And they did that by digging into those synthesizers and creating these like weird whistle sounds, weird tones and like all of these specific things. I generally think that like, I thank people of the world who are like synth heads for being really into making synth sounds because the process is terrible. Like you spend Mm -hmm. most of your day listening to the worst sounds you've ever heard. (laughs) And being like, no, this is this is really bad. And like, do you know how like much fine tuning it probably got for them to like that whistle sound right. on Absolute Ego Dance? They was they they probably was like they were changing the like frequency of it between to like tenths of a decimal points just for like weeks and weeks about being like, no, it's still fucking annoying. And then like at some point they just turned it and they were like, I don't know what you did to that knob, but don't touch it. The knob yeah. stays there and we record it with the sound that it's at right now. That's really funny. I'm sorry. That's This is all just reminding me of that video essay you sent of um, Riz's worst beat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Fucking door bell. Uh, <laughs> the, t- okay. the Taco Bell sound. Yes. <laughs> that is 
<laughs> I'm keeping this shit in. If you haven't seen that, you have to watch Riz's Worst Beat. Like, put, look it up. But either way, back to the beats on this project and not the worst beat <laughs> ever made by Riz. The I think what also really grounds this album for me is how experimental and what a trip it takes you on. Like, you mentioned the fact that, you know, it slows down a lot on Behind the Mask. And then... I remember the first time I was listening, I also was not looking at the track track list. And then all of a sudden they're covering Day Tripper by the Beatles. And you're just like, wait, Day Tripper? They're covering Mm -hmm. Day Tripper? And it's it's also one of those covers that is recognizable because it uses the melody, but also does take your, it's so different that it takes your brain a little bit to recognize that it's Day Tripper. Yeah. It, It just goes all over the place and they're so wild and really pushing at the boundaries of a sound that they are already creating. It's not even like, you know, this album could be eight tracks of absolute um, ego dance, and I'd be like, sick, this is amazing. But instead they're like, no, 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 we're going to explore like all the areas this can go to, from the downbeat to the like weird covers that hurt your brain a little bit, to grooves that make you just like want to walk around and do chores in Soho. Like it, it really is just like such an amazing ground for an album that is breaking ground already. I really love with Yellow Magic Orchestra's album how you can clearly hear the albums that influenced it and then the artists that Yellow Magic Orchestra have then influenced, which I thought is really cool. It's just one of those albums that has like a very clear trajectory or place in music history and development. And I think I've said this about an album that we've listened to on here previously as well. I don't remember which one, but... Um, it's it's very cool to hear and also to hear and have it be fun like I feel like lots of times when people are like oh this is the seminal album of whatever whatever it's like the saddest scariest <laughs> yeah darkest shit and you're listening to I've it and you're like heard. I'm gonna kill myself like I, exactly. I like, it's like look I feel like it, it feels like work to like listen to a yeah. lot of like the classics but this classic you put on and you're just like man I feel like I'm a video game character. It's like, oh yeah, let's listen to the album that defined like hip hop and the internet puts on death grips. Oh, I want to die. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but, but this is just like nice, fun video games, disco Willy Wonka vibes. And you're like, okay, mm-hmm. okay. I, I could deal with this. I could do this. Um, and I also just think that it's cool that they were not um, American or just English speaking in general, but like, specifically American. I like that there's this whole trajectory of music that developed sort of outside of us and then made its way over here. I love when it can kind of be contained like that. Okay, so our film for this episode is the 2000 year, like year 2000, not like something, something, something else masterpiece and i say that with a capital m and capital p i guess crouching tiger comma Mm. hidden dragon i actually don't know if there's a comma in there there should be did i make that up (laughs) i think there is i I think there is (laughs) i'm gonna be really upset if there is we're gonna i thought there was (laughs) there is i feel like my my grammar brain doesn't like that (laughs) 
Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon was, of course, released in the year 2000, turn of the millennium. It was directed by Ang Lee, the Ang Lee, like of Life of Pi, Brokeback Mountain, Sense and Sensibility, Hulk, you know, that mm. Ang Lee. It was written by Wang Huiling, James Seamus, and Kuo Jung Sai. It's based on the book of the same name from the 40s by Wang Delu. It's starring the goat, the extreme goat, Michelle Yeoh. Um, and I actually am going to point out some of the main actors' um, uh, backgrounds and nationalities because it does sort of factor into the, the overall meaning and history of the film. Um, so Michelle Yeoh stars in it. Um, she's Malaysian. I hope that I'm pronouncing her name right. I should be. Um, you would know her from... I mean, she's just like one of the most famous asian actresses in Mm -hmm. the world but you would know her more recently especially if you are um from the states or just from an english-speaking country probably from crazy rich asians everything everywhere all at once memoirs of a geisha shang chi and the seven rings um tomorrow never dies etc etc um tomorrow never dies being the bond film that i think allowed her to cross over into like international film um Chow Yun-fat, who's from Hong Kong. You would also know him from Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. Um, Also other films such as A Better Tomorrow. But he's one of the most prolific Hong Kong actors ever. He's in over 95 films and over 25 television series. So very famous. Also rich. Um, Zhang Ziyi, who is Chinese. You would know her from from Rush Hour 2. Also, Memoirs of a Geisha. You will notice that, like, if you went through, and even with films that I'm going to say, these actors and actresses are some of the most prominent Asian actors and actresses that have existed in recent generations. And so there's going to be a lot of crossover between the films that they've been in. So she was also in Memoirs of a Geisha, her and Michelle Yeoh, and they work really closely together. And I think Memoirs of a Geisha came out, like, in 2000 seven or something so only a few years after crouching tiger hidden dragon so it's kind of cool to see them back together again um house of flying daggers a film called grandmaster um and then chang chen who is taiwanese who was in a few of wong kar wai's films our goat Mm. (laughs) goat of otl um and also the grandmaster amongst other films it was scored by tan dun which i mentioned because the score is a a very important part of the film um the score was performed by the shanghai symphony orchestra the shanghai national orchestra and the shanghai percussion ensemble and it features many solo passages for the cello played by the one and only yo-yo ma Um, and of course because we're talking like asian excellence here you know Mm -hmm. like these are like the most famous people that we have heard of you know um and also incredibly important the the film was choreographed by Wen Wu Ping, who is... Thank God you're bringing that up, because I was going to fucking ask, man. Because, yeah, he's one of the most prominent choreographers of martial arts films, um, and is kind of, like, credited for having them pop the fuck off the way they did. 
Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon is hailed as one of the most influential wuxia films, wuxia being a genre of Chinese Hong Kong stories or fiction that center around a martial artist and their adventures. Wuxia translates to, if I'm not mistaken, martial heroes, like exactly. Other examples would be House of Flying Daggers, The Forbidden Kingdom, Kung Fu Panda, <laughs> and AMC's Into the Badlands. Yes, I said Kung wow, Fu Panda, I and yes, that. I fucking meant wow, it. Wow, interesting. Popular Wuxi actors include the Jet Li, Michelle Yeoh, Tony Lung, from, who was also in the Wong Kar Wai film that we watch, mm. Donnie Yen, and Zhang Ziyi. Two of the people I just mentioned are people who are in this film. The plot of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and I'm just like, there's so much to talk about, so I'm, I'm just, I know that I'm still talking, and I'm, I'm going to ask you what you think of it, but <laughs> to, just to get to the plot first before I pass it on over, um, and then talk about its uh, sort of credibility and accolades. The plot of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon centers around warrior Li Mu Bai, who has decided to lay down his sword, the sword, the green destiny, and retire, trusting it to his friend slash lover, because we all know the vibes, yeah. Yu, Yu Shu Lian. That is until the sword is stolen. When the sword is stolen, um, that coincides with the reappearance of Mu Bai's only unthwarted foe, Jade Fox. While... Lee Mubai is trying to track down Jade Fox, who has reappeared. And while they're trying to solve the mystery of who stole the Green Destiny sword, Shu Lian befriends Jen, a young female aristocrat who is soon to be married off and is clearly unhappy with her life. So, you know, lots of plots going around. I feel like I explained it kind of confusingly, but it's actually very simple. <laughs> you know, there's like three, there's three plot things and they are all actually the same plot. Mm -hmm. You realize at the end. Yeah. I love this movie. So does my mom. <laughs> my mom is the reason why I love this movie. It's one of her favorite films. Um, and the world loves this movie. It is. It was the first foreign language film to break the $100 million mark in the U.S. And it remains to this day the highest grossing foreign language film produced overseas. Like, but in America. As in, like, mm. highest grossing in America, but foreign language and produced overseas. Parasite is number four, Pan's Labyrinth is number six, and Amelie is number seven. Just to give you a few, like, names that you thought might have beat it. And they are leagues behind. Of course, they came out recently, so they don't have, like, the same amount of years to make a whole bunch of money, but leagues behind. Um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon was nominated for ten Oscars. The most ever for a non-English film at the time, until Roma tied it in 2018. Um, it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Score, and a whole bunch of others, but it won Best Cinematography, Best Art Direction, and Best Foreign Language Film. It won four BAFTAs. It won two Golden Globes. It's got a 97% of Rotten Tomatoes, a 94 score, a Metacritic. It is one of the most influential Asian films, martial arts films, like Hero's Journey films, just XX films. Like It is just an incredibly influential film for international film in the States, but also just in general, because it's great ever. Um, and it's also just great, but I will reserve my personal feelings for it. And finally stop talking and ask you, Ben, what you thought of this film. I feel like similar to when you talk, I only have like one word for this film, which is just like mesmerizing. Yeah. And you know, I, it's just something about like watching the choreographed action in this movie and the way that they make the characters fly and the way that they use yeah. the sets in such like imaginative ways that I feel like anytime any of the characters are moving 
Um, it's just so mesmerizing, like I said, to watch that you don't want to look away because you're kind of in disbelief that it could look that good. Like everything mm-hmm. is just so perfectly... I think this is like the best choreography like I've ever seen in a movie ever. And like the way it's like linked into how beautiful some of the shots are like all of the yeah. shots in the forest when they're like they're so fucking good i can't they're so fucking good. i can't believe those are real when they're fighting in the fucking trees yes first of all okay first that's of, my okay. favorite scene from so the whole movie it's 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 so good but i do okay so the, the one thing that i should point out is because we didn't put out the last episode you will have missed me say that one of the reasons why I love this movie and one of the reasons why I suggested it is not only because it's incredibly influential, but is also because it's a foreign language film, not a movie that many people know, especially if you're not into like martial arts films, which my mom and I definitely are. Um, But also because it is one of the most beautifully choreographed martial arts films I've ever seen. The fight scenes in this film to me wash every other fight scene and every other big action film like out of the water like it's it, not it, even close just, it it's, it's not even close there's no comparison it's incomparable the the choreography and and cinematography and editing and sound design in this film is incomparable like two other action-based films but the great thing about it is that like martial arts films are almost all like that like they're Mm. they're all beautiful and they all pay this really intense and deep homage to the forms of martial arts that they're utilizing in in the film and and that's part of the reason why the choreography is so seamless and so beautiful and why it, it it's not even that they're like flying it's that they like the, the way that it's choreographed and the way that it's edited and the way that it's executed because most of them did all of their own stunts. So the way that it's Crazy. executed, like, it's it's not just that they're floating or flying. It's that it really seems like they're using air yeah. as a part of their fighting mm-hmm. and as a part of their combat. And that's a whole level above everything thing else like when they like like when they're moving and you see their hand go to their chest you don't just think like oh they're hitting their chest you think that like oh this entire sequence has built up all of this energy and is like going to push them back 30 feet and then when they get pushed back 30 feet you're like yeah yeah that's exactly what should have happened and the thing like and most of this was done practically right so they were on ropes that Mm -hmm. were then edited out in post and the, the thing that's beautiful about that is they are actually using air and so trees do bend and leaves do like whistle and branches do bristle and you know like things move around them and it really creates this beautiful picture of them fighting and even when they're in cities and flying over rooftops and even when they're doing intricate sword fighting in like in inside spaces it's so like the the scene where jen basically defeats like 50 men yeah. in this like restaurant mm. is so amazing because it's just so intricate but still fun and still just like so well shot and so well executed and even though it's like done for laughs right it's it's so good it's just like so well choreographed and so well thought out and you could tell that everyone really really wanted to make it work 
um, and everyone really sort of put their all into it, but also that these are professionals and these are people who have been doing this for like their whole lives, basically. Um, And martial arts films are just like, there's a sort of, there's an artistry to the cinematography and to the choreography of the fight scenes that is just unparalleled and makes the movie so breathtaking. Like it is honestly and earnestly breathtaking. But I, I want to say that another reason why I love this film is for two reasons. One, because it's just your classic, like, Shakespearean tragedy. Mm-hmm. Like, like it, it yeah. really is just, like, it's it's got all of the beats of your real classic bones of just, like, a tragedy love story. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got the, the sort of, like, suppressed hero who has to overcome their obstacles. The number one obstacle being themselves and their ego to reach the thing it's got the lovers who you know only really confess their love at the at one of their last breaths and who dies in the other's arm it's got the old matronly mentor who sacrifices even though they did wrong things but they sacrifice for their young mentee you know Mm -hmm. it's got all of those beats and it's just a classic story like and it's really like it's it's like having a nice hearty soup in that way yeah like it's really just like a nice comforting hearty soup you know what all the pieces are you know what's in your soup you know what it's going to taste like but it's like you've been eating it since you were born you know and it's just like it tastes like a nice home-cooked meal that is from your childhood and so you're very much like this is exactly what i need and what i want and it's familiar but it's still like is emotional like it still gets i mean like i know that we have watched like quote-unquote more emotional movies and i you know that, you know, it might not be my strongest week right now, but, like, I cried at this. Like, this is one of the few movies yeah. that, oh, that we've watched in the podcast that, like, when, you know, the there's that moment where he says, like, you know, with I'm going to use my last breath focused on telling you what I always should have said. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah no, I'm going to cry. I'm going to cry right now. Yeah, and I'm gonna, you're like, I'm, oh, oh, cool. I'm, really? Yeah, and I'm going to cry hard because it, yep. like, and it's also, I don't know, like, similar to kind of, like, you were idea of like you know ingredients that you always know i feel like it's it's really hard to pull off a story like so simple and make it like so like like have so much like depth to it at the same time where like all of the characters have what are not even like that many lines or like you know really big like dramatic kind of like exposés like so much of it is just like in the way that they act towards each other and like in the fight scenes and in the choreography and in like their just interactions and the small stuff that makes it that by the end they're like no I'm going to cry I'm and I'm going to cry yeah. hard and I'm going to cry ugly like this is going to be bad Yeah, it's a movie where everyone believes in almost everyone. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is like a, like everyone has someone who really deeply believes in and cares for them. And I think that that just makes it like this beautiful circle that also makes it heartbro- heartbreaking when someone in that circle or multiple people in that circle have to go for whatever reason, whether it's death or whether it's just moving on or, you know, growing up or for whatever reason. Okay. But that was, one reason because i was said for two for two reasons Mm -hmm. the the second reason is that this is like the for me defining feminist text like this and mulan and i do think mulan i read on wikipedia i don't know if this is true but i would love to believe it that 1998 
Mulan, Disney's Mulan, um, sort of opened oh, uh, an appetite um, or created mm. an appetite for international Ooh. audiences to welcome female warriors. And so you then get this feminist text no, it's, with yeah. all of these badass women mm-hmm. kicking ass and taking names. And then you have the title Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which is an idiom that sort of surmises to a place or situation with unnoticed masters, which in, so it, it's got, then it's got an underlying meaning, right? So, so that's sort of the blanket meaning, which I think in this film sort of directly relates to both naivete and then also women. Like those are the unnoticed masters, the people who you underestimate because they're young or naive, but then women, those are the, you know, like women are everywhere and they're strong and they're powerful and they are the crouching tigers and hidden dragons that are going to end you, bitch. (laughs) They're going to end you. And then the underlying meaning is um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon also refers to not only unnoticed masters, but the undercurrents of emotion, passion, desire that lie beneath the surface of a polite society or like civil behavior, right? Is Which is also a major theme in this film. And I, I just love that notion. Like, it's so smart. It's so smart. It's so cool. It's so, like, nuanced. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just think it's a, a perfect title and sort of a perfect sentiment to write a really great epic like action story about you know or like hero's journey about um and it's also just like really well performed but yeah the the second reason why i love this film so much is because it is for me like one of my defining feminist texts there's 10 things i hate about you and then there's this there she's the man and then there's this no it's it truly is like you said i don't know like Watching it, it's one of those things where I was like, no, it's just, it's a fucking master, masterpiece. Like, there's just nothing else to it. I I, I, so I, I think that the scene where they're fighting in the trees is like maybe top five movie scene I've ever ever witnessed. Yeah, it, it, it's, it, it's one of my favorites it, for sure. It truly just is the moment where he is resting on the end of the tree and she can't knock him off. Like, yeah. I, I can't put into words how good that is. Oh, my God. Yeah. For for every moment that this movie is beautiful and well choreographed, it is also equally profound and sentimental and well written. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is like, I feel like you usually get one or the other. Like, you usually get like, oh, these fight scenes are incredible, but this story could use a little, a little bit of work. Or like, the story is great, but they could have, I don't know, filmed it a little better or done the fight scenes a little bit better. But no, this movie is really like tens across the board. It is tens across the board. I think we should talk about next episode. Mm-hmm. So, a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. That's the second time I made this joke on this podcast. <laughs> and no, I ain't ever gonna stop. Me and Broadway jokes. Rest in peace, Sondheim, the goat. Anyway, a funny thing happened. And um, Soul Glow, the band, released this album. And before Ben talks about it a little bit more, um, we were talking about it. And I have not heard the whole thing, by the way. And I was like, but Ben, wait. You do know where the title comes from, right? And he was like, in my no, in my I, little white self. Yeah, <laughs> he was like, "Well, I'm glad you said that because," and he was. <laughs> <laughs> it's the truth. What can I say? 
it is the truth, but I wasn't going to say it. And he was like, no, I, I, I haven't. I haven't seen. I, d- I don't know. What, what is it from? And I was like, only one of the greatest comedies of all time coming to America, which is also probably my mom's favorite film of all time so if we're just riding this wave of nadira's mom's favorite films then we're gonna ride it we're gonna Mm -hmm. ride this wave um coming to america is one of the quintessential most popular most famous most quoted most revered hilarious black comedies in like african-american film history like we have a lot of Mm -hmm comedy we have a lot of content not nearly as much as we should but we have a lot of great content right but this is like coming to america is like the the film that you everyone who was black has seen coming to america and can recognize the quotes from coming to america it's um i believe it was released in 1988 um and it is just so influential like the the quotes um the performances the lines the jokes that it then ends up being things like the title of a band from philadelphia that does like pure punk you know Mm -hmm. like hardcore punk music and um its reach is so powerful so even though i know for a fact that the content of the album doesn't necessarily gel with the content of the film the tie-in of the title of the band with the joke from coming to america is enough for me for me to suggest that we just do a coming to America soul glow episode. And so that's what we're doing. And I think it's interesting Um, too, because it's the first time that we're doing an album like months after it's released. Yeah. That's super recent. That's, that's from this year. Wow. Mm -hmm. I know what's with us. Um, so that's what we're doing. Are there any words that you want to say about soul glows album, which is called diaspora problems? Yes, which is called Diaspora Problems. And all I will say is that the first time I listened to it, you have distinctive moments when you're listening to an album in a year that you're like, oh, this is going to be one of the most important albums that's dropped this year. You know, and that's all you can say because that you live in the year that you live in. You know, I can't make any comments about where it's going to go. But like, I know that right now this album is essential and I currently have tickets to see them because I have to get my ass beat to this album <laughs> not get your ass beat that's a you'll you'll get it but it's a reference to the first song not get your ass beat <laughs> i could do that for free anyway <laughs> so <laughs> that's what we're doing next episode we are doing soul glows diaspora problems and coming to america um i think it'll be a really fun really fun show um, but as for this episode, this was Yellow Magic Orchestra's mm-hmm. st- st- something station, <laughs> station something. <laughs> that was Yellow Magic Orchestra's Solid State Survivor from 1979. I remember that. Mm. And Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Crouching Tiger, comma, Hidden Dragon, firmly off the list should be off yours have to say this was a very enjoyable episode yes a lot of the times we're like down in the dumps sad girl but this is very this was fun this was happy this was upbeat well it wasn't okay crutching tiger hidden dragon is full of love it's not all happy but it's full of love (laughs) 
My Bye. roommates are having some fun playing <laughs> video games, so it's time for us to go. It's time for me to hang it up. Bye, y'all. Bye. See you next episode. <laughs> Off the List is made by Ben and me, Nadira. Our artwork is by Rebecca Pearson, and our music is by Cedric Hawkeyes.